What I'd love us to do is just for a moment picture a very family scene whenever a, a, a set of parents are going away and they're leaving their small children in the care of their grandparents. Uh, their, their parents' own parents are going to look after the children. The, the parents don't want to go away, but they, something has come up and they just have to go away. And so they leave lots of instructions and requests with the grandparents. And the reason why they do that is not because they don't trust the grandparents. It's not because they don't think the grandparents don't love the children. They know they love them deeply, and they want to, they want to do everything they can to help the little children to thrive. But nonetheless, even though they trust the love of the grandparents, they give lots and lots of instructions. Things like, remember the spare nappies on top of the wardrobe in the back room? Uh, remember to use the blue liquid uh, in the, I keep forgetting the name of this, the sterilizer. Um, or please make sure little Jane gets to bed by nine o'clock. She won't want to go, she'll struggle, she'll make excuses, but try to get her down by nine, otherwise tomorrow she'll be cranky, she'll be, she'll be really, really hard to live with, she'll be exhausted. And so all these instructions are given to the grandparents. Even though the grandparents do have some experience in bringing up children, nonetheless, they are given all sorts of instructions because the parents trust the grandparents and because they know that they want to do all these things, and so they give that request. I think it's a good way for us to understand the passage that we're looking at today in the midst of this series, All Things New, as we look through John's Gospel. It's John chapter 17, and it's the prayer of Jesus before the next day he knows that he'll be crucified, the disciples will be scattered, and so it's a very, very significant prayer, both in terms of timing, but also in terms of content. We know that Jesus prayed continually. He was always connected to the Father, had this open dialogue with the Father all the time, and yet we often don't know what exactly was the content of that prayer. We know the Lord's Prayer. It's an example that we have some sort of Sentences, it takes only 30 seconds or so to pray, but nonetheless, it's a good example for us as to what wholesome prayer looks like. But here we have an entire chapter in John's Gospel where we understand we're invited to enter into this prayer relationship between the Son and the Father. And John, the gospel writer, doesn't want it just to be like a case of, well, let's, let's read this interesting chapter. It's like John's a true Anglican. He wants to give us a prayer that we ourselves can pray. You can almost imagine that John has, whatever he's overheard Jesus praying, he has, he has put together in a prayer, and I imagine that John himself has prayed this prayer or parts of it again and again and again as he sought to step into the relationship between the Father and the Son. And that's how I think this passage should be approached. It should be approached prayerfully. So we're going to do that, and we're going to pray it in sections. We've, we imagine it as three sections. Jesus prays, first of all, for Himself. Then He prays for His disciples at that time, and then He prays for us. He prays for everybody who's going to become a disciple of Christ through the witness of the initial disciples. So we're going to pray through this today. Here's the first section. Jesus looks up to heaven, and He prays to His heavenly Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people, that He might give eternal life to all those You have given Him. Now, this is eternal life, 
that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you have called me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. At the end of that prayer, there's a recognition that Jesus is saying, I've finished the work that you have called me to do. And on the back of that, he makes a request. And it might seem strange that Jesus is saying in this prayer, I finished the work that you have called me to do. Because the next day, the greatest piece of work of all is going to happen. He's going to hang on a cross. He's going to shed his own blood for the sake of every other human being throughout history. And yet here he is the night before that awful day saying, praying, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. We know in a few weeks' time, we'll look at the passage, and Jesus hangs on the cross, and he says, Tetelestai in Aramaic, it is finished. And yet here he is praying, I've done everything, all the work that you've called me to do. I think what Jesus is praying here is that everything the Father has given him to do and to say, to lay before the disciples so that they understand fully who the Father is and who he is, Jesus Christ has done everything he's been called to do. He's made them fully aware of why he has come, who he is, and who the Father is, and that everything that he has done as the Son has been initiated, sourced, empowered, commanded by the Father. Jesus has laid all of that before the disciples, and all of that work is done. And because of that, then, Jesus prays this prayer that he will be glorified now, we may think, that's a, is that not a bit egotistical for someone to pray at the start of a prayer, glorify me that I may glorify you? Unless, of course, we understand, well, what does John be telling us all the way through as to what it means for Jesus Christ to be glorified? Remember back to John chapter 3, the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and Jesus says, the Son of Man will be lifted up just as the bronze snake was lifted up in the desert, that all may look at him and be healed. And what John wants us to understand, what Jesus wants us to understand, is the fact that the lifting up and the exaltation, they're, they're both the same word in Hebrew, the lifting up and the exaltation is going to happen on two pieces of wood, and Christ is going to be nailed to it. In other words, the place of glorification, the Gospels tell us, is the place of crucifixion. Glorify your son, said Jesus, so that he may glorify you. So why is he praying that? He's praying that because it is only through his glorification that you and I will have the opportunity to taste eternal life. The Hebrew Scriptures again and again pointed out the fact that the new age, the, the age to come that was spoken about and prayed about and declared and prayed for throughout the Hebrew Scriptures was about the Son of Man, the King, the Messiah, being exalted to actually sit 
with God and rule with God. Now, if we think about this, it's pretty startling that the Jews were unique among all the peoples of the world because they believed there was only one God. And yet, here in the midst of Hebrew Scriptures, again and again, are these prophecies and visions that a man, the son of a man, the son of God, is going to be exalted to sit beside God Himself and is going to be given all authority that God has. It's quite a a startling revelation in the midst of the Old Testament. And here, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, Daniel, who often received visions from the Lord, received this vision. In my vision, said Daniel in chapter 7, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What was, the, what was Jesus' favorite way of describing himself? The Son of Man. And so he prays, glorify your Son so that you may be glorified. The understanding in the Old Testament was that at the end of this current age, this new age would come, and the, this age to come would, would happen whenever the Messiah took his seat beside God, whenever somehow a man was going to take a seat beside God himself. And so Jesus says, let me take my seat for the sake of your people. And the seat's going to be on the cross. Let me take my seat for the sake of your people. And so in John chapter 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. And so Jesus is telling us, John is reinforcing for us throughout his good news story, the fact that Jesus Christ is going to cause the age to come, to come into the here and now. That we're not going to have to wait to the end of the age and everything be gathered up and then restarted. That the restart button is going to be hit in the middle of history and it's going to happen in and through Jesus. The age to come, the good future, is going to come into the here and now and be experienced by the people who believe it in the here and now, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus says that those who believe that he's been sent by the Father have eternal life, not are going to have eternal life, but have eternal life. And in fact, they will not be judged because they have already crossed over from death to life. This was a real shocker for the disciples to get their head round that what had been prophesied and anticipated for hundreds of years, history would end, a new age would begin in which God's people would thrive. And what Jesus shows is the fact that the good future is taken and it is started in the here and now, in and through Jesus. 
And so eternal life, it includes everlasting life. But eternal life primarily is not about everlasting life. Eternal life is primarily about knowing the everlasting one. And when we pass through death as believers, we will step into everlasting life. And so, Ascension Day, which is this Thursday, the 13th of May, is an extremely important day for us to remember because the kingdom only comes when the Son takes His place. That's why Jesus said, it is necessary for me to go away. If I do not go away, it'll not be a good thing. In other words, only by going away and taking His seat with the Father would the kingdom come by the power of the Holy Spirit to all who believe in Jesus Christ. That we would experience eternal life in the here and now. The eternal life that, as Jesus says, is to know the Father and to know Jesus Christ. In other words, eternal life is all about relationship. A relationship that can happen in the here and now. And so, Jesus prays for His disciples because He wants this to be declared throughout the world. Father, I've revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave you the words, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that Scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Let's go back for a moment to the picture of the parents going away and leaving the young children with the grandparents. What are the two things that parents want to happen when they leave their children with the grandparents? I think two things. They want the children to be safe and they want the children to be good. And they're the two things that Jesus prays. 
He prays for protection for his disciples. He, he prays for protection from the evil one. And because he does that, you and I should recognize that we should not take lightly the work of the devil. The devil is the deceiver. The devil is the one who tricks us into thinking that there is something good to be had outside God's goodwill. Can you think of all the circumstances and all the people and perhaps the circumstances in our own lives in which we have fallen for the lies of Satan? In which we've been lured away by the empty attractions of the world or by the deception of Satan who says, come over here, don't trust God, come over here, I'll show you how to have a really, really good time. And maybe weeks, months, years, hopefully at some point we will come to a place where we will deeply regret that decision. And yet Jesus asked the Father to protect the disciples because he knows the Father is strong enough to protect the disciples. He trusts completely in the sovereignty and the might and the love of God. Because here's the thing. The only person who can cause us to step outside God's blessing is us. The only person who can cause you to step outside God's blessing is you. No one else, nothing else can take you from the blessing of God than your own decision-making processes. Judas chose to step away from the goodwill that God has for his life. So we should not be unaware of the deception of Satan, whose name means deceiver, whose name means father of lies. And so we should be aware of the need for protection. The other thing Jesus prayed was that we will be good. We will be holy. We will be like him, set apart, consecrated. And we should pray that we will be holy. But let's not take lightly what that prayer means. Jesus said, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. How was Jesus going to sanctify himself? He was going to allow himself to be arrested unjustly tried and nailed to a tree. That's what sanctification looks like. And here is the echo of the work of the great high priest. In Jewish tradition throughout the centuries, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the, the most special place behind the big thick curtain, and only once a year he would have a rope tied around his ankle so that if he collapsed in the midst of the Holy of Holies, he could be pulled out because no one else was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. He alone would go in once a year. He would have all sorts of preparations, and he would be in that place in order to pray 
on behalf of God's people, to pray for the forgiveness of sins, to pray for the atonement of the people. And so he had to be consecrated. He had to go through all sorts of things. There were sacrifices of animals. There was purification in order to be able to go into the Holy of Holies and do his most important work, to stand in the gap of the Holy of Holies and to pray God's blessing, forgiveness, wholeness, shalom on the people of God. And so Jesus is taking that language and he's saying, sanctify me. I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. In other words, Lord, I want, I want my people to be good. I want them to be holy. I want them to be set apart, consecrated in self-sacrificial love. And to do that, I am going to do the ultimate act of self-sacrificial love. For them, I am going to be willing to stand in the gap to take all the sin and rubbish and brokenness of the world, and I'm going to shed my own blood. I'm going to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. And so in Hebrews 10, the writer says, when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus Christ prayed that we would be good. But let's not have any fluffy understanding of what it means to be good. The greatest act of Jesus' goodness was to allow himself to be beaten and spat upon and mocked and nailed to a cross. That's what holiness looks like. And thankfully, you and I, I imagine, will not be called to follow exactly what happened in Jesus' life. But nonetheless, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Be a person who stands up for justice. Be a person who speaks on behalf of the voiceless. Be a person who stands up for the poor. Be a person who invites in the person on the margins. Be a person who protects those who are vulnerable. That's what it looks like to be someone who is holy, someone who is good. And right now, Jesus, the great intercessor, is in the Holy of Holies on his throne, and he is praying that you and I will be good that you and I would be holy. And so Jesus then prays for you and me. He prayed for us then. Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you gave me because you loved me before the creation of the world. 
righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the prayer of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus prays for three things for you and me. He prayed it then, he prays it now. He prayed for protection. He prayed that we would be good. And he prayed for unity. And the reason for that is so that the world would see that the Father loves us just as he loves the Son. The great test of whether we have truly and are truly living in this eternal life, in this relational life with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, living out the call of our baptism in which we are baptized into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the great test of this is, are we living in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ? It's not how powerful we are in the spiritual gifts. It's not how committed we are in our faith. The real test of whether we are dwelling in the holy presence of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is this. Are we living at unity, in unity, with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Because if we are, then the world will know that something supernatural is happening. People will say, how come they get on? How come they love each other? How come they forgive each other? How come they're not bitter with each other? They're human beings just like us. The answer, as Mark was saying earlier on, is because we do what we're commanded to do. We ask for forgiveness when we get it wrong. We give forgiveness when someone wrongs us. We live a life like Christ in this wonderful self-sacrificial community of love where we put other people first and so the world will see that Christ is among us. There is no greater test. There is no greater proof of what it means to live the gift of eternal life. Because what is eternal life? It's to live in harmony and relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ, and in fact, all the community of God who are now in Christ, and that includes the people around you, as you look around you today, are the community of God. That's the proof that we are living the gift of eternal life that we have been given that we are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, of self-sacrificial love that begins just with good manners of saying, no, you go first. And I'm not just talking about going through doors here. I'm talking about, no, you go first. Because if we live like that, the world will know that Christ is among us. And so we're protected we're made holy, and we're united. And together we're sent into the world so that those will know the Father has sent us.
two things really strike me in Jesus' prayer. One is he says that the disciples who are about to deny him and run away have already brought glory to him. I'm so encouraged by that, knowing that I so often fail, I so often make mistakes, that Jesus said of the disciples for whom he was praying, ones who hours later, in fact, nearly moments later, were going to, were going to run away. Jesus said, they have already brought glory to my name. Why? Because they believed that Jesus Christ was from the Father. Our walk with God is not performance-related. In believing, we bring great glory to God through Jesus Christ. Another thing that struck me in this was that Jesus talks about, you have given me, Father, all who were meant to come to me. And now, in this moment, I'm giving them back to you for safekeeping. And so, as we go out into the world in need, as we go out in our we are with you, if we, as we go out in our day-to-day -day lives, we go out as those who we have no pressure. Our job is to live this joy of eternal life, to live it together, to show the community that we are a community of love, and leave it up to God what happens. We don't try and pressurize. We don't try and cajole. We simply go out and in word and deed declare who Jesus Christ is, the one whom we have a relationship with. And we trust that whoever's meant to come to Christ in that moment will be given by the Father to Jesus Christ. And so evangelism should never have any pressure. We always leave the results to God. We simply have this joy of living a life of communion with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that place, we know that Christ is praying for us. And in that place, we will enjoy protection, we will enjoy holiness, and we will enjoy unity. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can, we can join in this prayer. We can enter into this sacred place of this conversation between Father and Son. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus sanctified himself, that we may be truly sanctified. And we marvel in the fact that we have been made holy, we marvel in the fact that we have been brought from death to life. We marvel that we've been brought from darkness to light because Christ came. Christ died for us. Christ was raised to life overcoming death. And Christ is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And because of that, the age to come is the age that is breaking into the here and now. And that we can now know one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent by the power of the Holy Spirit.
and we rejoice in the fact that this relationship is real and clear and evident in the here and now. May we be united. May we show a united witness to the world. May we love our brothers and sisters as ourselves so that the world will know that Christ is King and His kingdom is unstoppable. And it is in His mighty name that we pray. Amen.